This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the therapeutic benefits of marijuana in related regulatory policies. With me to discuss these topics is Mr. Paul Armentano, Deputy Director of NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, David. Mr. Armentano's bio is posted on the podcast website. On background, this past November, voters in seven states approved legalizing marijuana. Of the 29 states that have now legalized its use for medicinal purposes, eight states, along with the District of Columbia, also allow for its recreational use. Public approval of marijuana is based in part on its widespread consumption. In 2015, of 265 million Americans aged 12 or over, over 22 million or over 8% reported using cannabis in the past month. Medical use of marijuana that began in California in 1996 is increasingly well recognized, particularly for treating chronic pain in adults, treating chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, and for multiple sclerosis-related muscle spasms. The therapeutic benefits of cannabis have been recently revisited by the National Academy of Sciences in a consensus report titled The Health Effects of Cannabis and Cannabinoids, the Current State of Evidence and Recommendations for Research, published earlier this month. The report viewed more than 10,000 scientific studies published since 1999 and summarized the evidence concerning the therapeutic effects of 11 health conditions. Despite state legalization, federal law still prohibits its use. Along with heroin and LSD, the federal government classifies cannabis as a Schedule I drug. Though THC, the principal active ingredient in cannabis, is listed as a Schedule III drug. Federal law also prohibits marijuana businesses, now collectively a $6.7 billion industry and expected to grow to $22 billion by 2020, from assessing banking services such as checking accounts. Again, with me to discuss the therapeutic benefits of marijuana and the, for lack of a better word, confusing state of regulatory policy is Paul Armentano. Paul, with that as somewhat of a lengthy intro, uh, let's start by my asking you, can you briefly describe Normal's work? Sure. Normal is a nonprofit advocacy organization that argues on the state and federal level for marijuana law reform. We believe that an adult should not suffer criminal or civil penalty for the responsible private use of cannabis. Okay, thank you. Concerning the uh, just-published National Academy of Science report that I noted, that's an update of their 99 report titled Marijuana and Medicine Assessing the Science Base. What are your takeaways from uh, the report just published a week or two ago? Well, there are a couple really important takeaways. One is that there is a volume of scientific evidence as it pertains to the use of cannabis, the health effects of cannabis, and the societal effects of cannabis policy. As you acknowledge in your introduction, 
Uh, authors of this report reviewed over 10,000 peer-reviewed studies specific to marijuana and health that have been published uh, just within the last decade and a half. Now, by contrast, if one was to go to PubMed, the repository for peer-reviewed scientific research, and typed in a keyword search for, say, Adderall, one would find fewer than 200 published papers specific to that substance. So the reality is, is that cannabis is very well studied and fairly well understood with regard to its mechanism of action and its health effects, its therapeutic effects, and its effects upon society. The second takeaway is that clearly marijuana, and by marijuana I mean whole plant cannabis, is therapeutic. It is safe. It is effective in the treatment of particular disorders and in particular uh, populations. Uh, the National Academy of Sciences said there was conclusive evidence, for instance, to show that cannabis was safe and effective in the treatment of chronic pain as well as in the stimulation of appetite and in the treatment of spasticity associated with multiple sclerosis. Uh, that finding is in direct conflict with existing federal policy that says that marijuana is a Schedule I controlled substance with no medical utility whatsoever. And we'll get to uh, federal policy in a moment. Let me ask, the report did identify some downsides or potential harms. What were some of those? Well, marijuana is a mood-altering substance. And like any psychotropic substance, it ought to be regulated so that we can better control uh, its use, its possession, its sale, and so we can better educate the public um, and try to delineate between use and abuse. Certainly the National Academy of Sciences indicated that some populations, like children, uh, pregnant women, uh, individuals with a family history of mental illness, that these are groups that may be at higher risk uh, for potential adverse effects from marijuana use. But all of these uh, potential side effects can be better addressed by regulating cannabis as opposed to criminally prohibiting it. Okay, thank you. What, if anything, uh, I have to ask this question, what, if anything, does the report say about marijuana regarding drug use progression? Uh, the data regarding marijuana and this notion that it may be a so-called gateway to the use of other illicit substances uh, is simply not an evidence-based argument. In fact, the 1999 National Academy of Sciences report was very clear on this issue when they said that the use of marijuana was not a causal gateway to the use of other substances. In fact, if we just look statistically, uh, we see that while the use of marijuana is relatively popular among adults in society, we see that the use of other illicit drugs, uh, by comparison, is uh, nominal. So at the end of the day, what we know is that the majority of people who use marijuana do not go on to use other substances, and by the time they turn about age 30 or age 35, majority of those people no longer use marijuana anymore either. Okay, thank you. 
coincident or nearly coincident with the National Academy's publication, there was a symposium at Dartmouth I know you attended on the therapeutic efficacy of cannabis. Uh, the discussion included the new and novel uses of cannabis. Uh, what was discussed at Dartmouth, or what were some of these? Sure. Well, Dartmouth is one of a growing number of scientific and medical institutions that are taking this issue of the therapeutic utility of marijuana very seriously. As noted earlier, 29 states, more than half of the country, now acknowledge the therapeutic use of cannabis by statute, and there is growing interest, not just among the public, but among the medical community in the public health community with regard to what conditions marijuana is safest and most effective for, what are the various routes of administration with regard to cannabis, what are some of the other constituents in the marijuana plant, like some of the terpenes uh, that we know exist in cannabis and how they may also uh, be therapeutically useful, and how we can best regulate the use and dispensing of this plant in a manner that is most safe and most effective and most convenient for the patient population that may benefit from it. Okay, thank you again. What's your understanding of medical use prevalence? That is, what's your sense of how well-trained physicians are or other prescribing clinicians in, a, in exploiting marijuana uh, use for therapeutic benefit? You say in some of the slides you forwarded me in advance that approximately a million and a half Americans are authorized currently to use medical cannabis. How well, or what's the awareness in the uh, prescribing or in the clinical community? Well, this is a fairly unique issue in that medical marijuana is largely a patient-driven issue. In many instances, physicians are learning from the testimonials of their patients. Uh, physicians do not learn about medical marijuana while they are in medical school. They don't learn about the endogenous cannabinoid regulatory system from a textbook. This is information that, if it is provided to them, is largely provided by their patient clientele. At the end of the day, there is a need for greater education among physicians uh, so that they are aware of the emerging science, uh, much of which has been published within the last five to ten years. Uh, right now, there are very few CME, continuing medical education seminars, uh, targeting these sort of uh, patients. In many states, physicians are not required to undergo any specialized training before they begin recommending medical marijuana. And I think there really needs to be greater outreach and greater educational effort to the medical community so that they better understand uh, the emerging science and the changing legal and cultural landscape with regard to the cannabis plant. I'll have to note in uh, follow-up to your answer that per the uh, National Academy report, they noted in, the, in Chapter 2 that uh, human use of cannabis dates from the 6th century B.C., and we don't teach its use in medical school 20-something um, centuries later, but we'll, we'll move on here. Um, since I mentioned uh, recreational use, uh, what are the arguments? Let, let's 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 explore that for a moment. What are the arguments for legalizing marijuana's uh, recreational use 
you suggested it relative to the cost of law enforcement. Sure. Well, prohibition or the criminalization of cannabis is simply a failed public policy. The reason you and I are having this conversation in 2016 is because despite over a century of criminalization of cannabis at the federal level and over a century of criminalization in many state jurisdictions, millions of Americans continue to use cannabis and they continue to do so responsibly. The criminalization of marijuana is a disproportionate public policy to behavior that is, at worst, a public health concern. But this shouldn't be a criminal justice issue. And I'll note uh, in my research for this discussion, there were, uh, there are in recent past or in 2014, an estimated 1.5 million related arrests uh, for possession at a cost of over uh, $3 billion. Let's move to uh, policy, uh, and particularly federal policy. Uh, half of all Americans have, as per the 29 states, half of all Americans have access to medical marijuana, uh, and up to 65 million in states that have authorized uh, recreational use. While former President Obama uh, thought federal policy was, quote-unquote, untenable, what now that we're under a new administration, what action might the new administration under uh, Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions take um, going forward? Well, it certainly remains to be seen how this administration is going to address this growing divide between public sentiment and the legal status of marijuana under the majority of state laws versus the blanket prohibition of marijuana that continues to exist at the federal level. And this is going to be a very interesting dilemma uh, for the Trump administration and for a likely Ater U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, uh, because Republicans often refer to the principles of federalism and of states' rights uh, when they speak to a number of public policy issues. Uh, yet they seem divorced from those principles when it comes to the question of marijuana policy. So at the end of the day, we are going to learn which principle is more important to this party, the longstanding principle of federalism and the argument that uh, government that is smaller governs best, or is it going to be that this administration is simply beholden to the war on marijuana and the war on marijuana consumers, a failed policy that the American public is rapidly rejecting? As a follow-up, what's your hope or expectation relative to this National Academy publication relative to evolving federal policy? I did see in the report uh, a note that the DEA recently rejected reclassifying marijuana as a, um, as a class three instead of a class one. Uh, the statement or rationale in part was, quote-unquote, there is no adequate or well-controlled studies uh, to determine marijuana's efficacy. Well, again, the DEA is the modern equivalent of the Flat Earth Society. They are in the science rejection business. And that's what they did this past August when they rejected a pair of rescheduling petitions calling on the federal government to comport 
the scheduling under federal law of marijuana in a manner that is consistent with the available evidence. I think it ought to be clear to everybody today that the DEA's justification for keeping marijuana in Schedule One, their claim that no adequate studies existed to show that marijuana was safe or effective for any patient condition, is a false statement. Not only did the National Academy of Sciences say that, in fact, there were adequate studies, but they also said that the evidence from those studies was conclusive that marijuana was effective in the treatment of a number of conditions. The DEA was simply lying then, they're lying today, and I have no doubt they will continue to lie in the future. At the end of the day, they are a political institution. They are not an agency that is beholden to science or evidence. Let me follow up on a practical matter. I noted in the intro that per federal law, uh, businesses or marijuana businesses which are growing uh, in revenue exponentially are precluded from ex accessing uh, just basic banking services. Part of the legalization is to uh, beyond regulate uh, and other benefits try to reduce sort of the black market effect. What's your sense of progress or movement particularly as this industry grows again so rapidly? Well, again, we're in this untenable position, and it's because marijuana remains a Schedule One drug uh, under federal law is why these businesses do not have access to banking, for instance, is why physicians cannot prescribe marijuana, but instead they must recommend cannabis therapy. It's why a pharmacy cannot stock uh, cannabis or formulations derived from the cannabis plant. Again, all of this harkens back to the fact that marijuana was improperly classified as a Schedule I controlled substance in 1970, and because the DEA and Congress have fought the rescheduling of cannabis every step of the way for the last 46 years. One of the primary arguments for regulating the cannabis market is to bring transparency to this multi-billion dollar market, to bring it above ground. At the end of the day, no market can have the sort of transparency that we are seeking in an environment where these businesses don't even have access to financial services, where they don't have access to credit, where they have to pay their taxes and pay their employees in cash, where their customers uh, do not have the ability to make a purchase with a credit card and make, must make all of their purchases in cash. It is ridiculous to think that in the state of California, the jurisdiction that has the sixth largest economy in the world and where we know a significant part of that economy is based on the revenue in the market surrounding cannabis, to think that this industry going forward is still going to be quasi-underground, is still not going to be transparent, 
because this industry is not regulated in the same manner as other businesses is absurd and it's a disservice to both the industry itself and the consumers that engage in the marijuana market. It's a change that needs to be made at the federal level, and at the end of the day, it's a change that needs to be made by an act of Congress. So with that, my going out question would be, are we at an impasse uh, at the federal level, and to the extent we make progress, we'll just continue to add to the uh, 29 states and counting? Well, Congress are the, is the entity that initially criminalized marijuana with the passage of the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act. Members of Congress continued that criminalization of marijuana with the passage of the Controlled Substances Act of 1970. It is Congress that is responsible for the mess we are in today. It is Congress that created bad law. So at the end of the day, it is the responsibility of Congress to go ahead and amend this law and to comport federal policies with the rapidly changing cultural and legal status of marijuana. We are confident that as more and more of the public express their position that marijuana criminalization is a failed policy, and as more and more states move to amend their state policies, that the federal government will eventually be compelled to follow. Okay, Paul, with that, we're at our time boundary, so I'm genuinely appreciative for this uh, overview uh, I will say, relative to the Congress, you know, they're always looking for pay-fors, so I'm sure at the federal level a tax would possibly be what levers them or motivates them uh, in this regard. But with that, uh, thank you again, Paul, for your time. Well, thank you for having me, and those that want to learn more about Normal and our activities are welcome to visit us online at www.norml.org. Thank you again. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archived program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.